RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines, Hong Kong sees a new community outbreak of COVID-19. A bus driver is jailed for 14 years over a deadly crash in Taipo. And a woman gets a three-month jail sentence for shining a laser pointer at a police officer's eyes. Health authorities have announced a community outbreak of COVID-19 in Hong Kong with nine new locally acquired infections. Wendy Wong reports. The latest patients include a taxi driver and a 28-year-old man who've been to a noodle and congee shop in Choi Hung, linked to a coronavirus outbreak. Two staff there previously tested positive. The cab driver's 14-year-old son also came down with the disease. The secondary school he attends in Wong Tai Sin has been recommended by health authorities to suspend classes for two weeks. A friend of the taxi driver is also infected, believed to be through him. The patient is a waiter at a Cha Chan tank in Jordan. As for the other five new local cases, officials say they don't yet know the source of infection. These include a cook who works at a hot pot restaurant in Sha Tin. The controller of the Centre for Health Protection, Dr Wong Ka Hing, noted a number of cases in the latest wave of infections are linked to eateries. He's urged people to stay vigilant. We all know that for the uh, restaurant operation, the, so, so to speak, the unmasking activities, as you can imagine, is uh, much more than, say, in the usual uh, other setting. So uh, it's certainly a potential risk area of having the uh, transmission or spread of the uh, virus. Also among those whose source of infection is not known is an IT worker at Kowloon Hospital. He visited Disneyland before he fell sick. The other patients are an 85-year-old woman who lives at an elderly care home in Shiwan Shan, a 66-year-old woman who lives in Shui Chun O Estate in Sha Tin, and a 29-year-old piano teacher who lives in Chun Mun. Preliminary results show two other residents at a care home in Shiwan Shan also tested positive for the virus. There are also five imported cases, including a domestic helper and two ship crew who came here from the Philippines. The other two came from Pakistan. Foreign domestic... Sorry, foreign domestic workers will have to show proof they've tested negative for the coronavirus to be able to come into Hong Kong from now on. The government says their employers will also need to pay for them to stay in a hotel for 14 days of quarantine. His Health Secretary, Sophia Chan. Many of the situation in Hong Kong, especially the flats, are very small. Therefore, in order for the foreign domestic helpers that come to Hong Kong to have an effective quarantine, it is important for them to have a place whereby it actually fulfills the Department of Health's guidelines and also requirements. That is, they should have a single room and also do not share toilets, etc. So therefore, we have discussed that it is important for them to first come together in a designated place for or quarantine and hotel would be, you know, one of the places that is suitable. A bus driver has been jailed for 14 years over a crash in Taipo that left 19 people dead and 60 injured. Candice Wong reports. Chan Ho-Ming, who's 32, pleaded guilty at the High Court to manslaughter and dangerous driving, causing grievous bodily harm. His KMB double-decker flipped over at a bend on Taipo Road on February 10, 2018, as it headed from Sha Tin Racecourse to Taipo. The court heard how Chan had braked abruptly three times and then accelerated before the crash, ignoring complaints from passengers who had already berated him for the bus turning up late. His defence lawyer noted that Chan had Asperger's, 
and struggled to accept criticism. But the judge said Chan had deliberately driven at high speed to take revenge against his passengers and he had used the bus as a kind of weapon. The judge added that the impact of the crash on both the survivors and the relatives of the 19 people killed could never be taken away. Five veteran Democrats facing charges over protests last year have filed a judicial review over the warrant police obtained to search their mobile phones. Former lawmakers Martin Lee, Albert Ho, Sin Chong Kai, Al Nok Hin and Yeung Sum say the scope of the warrant is too wide, allowing officers to go through everything on their phones instead of just content relevant to their cases. A 28-year-old woman has been sentenced to three months in jail after being found guilty of assaulting of assault for shining a laser pointer at a police officer's eyes. Kwok Lai Fan claims she didn't even have such a device with her when she was arrested in Chimsa Choi on August the 10th last year. But Kowloon City Magistrate Amy Chan didn't believe her and said a deterrent sentence is needed to demonstrate the seriousness of the offence. Kwok is planning to appeal and has been released on bail, given a curfew and, not or- and ordered not to leave Hong Kong in the meantime. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. The chief executive says new rules which state that police can carry out searches and covert surveillance without court approval does not expand the force's power, but is merely a detailed explanation of what the national security law allows the police to do. As Maggie Ho reports, Carrie Lam also suggested that Western countries' criticism of the security law might be because of the rise of China. Under the new implementation rules, police officers handling national security cases do not have to seek approval from the Commission on Interception of Communications and Surveillance before carrying out covert surveillance operations. They can also conduct searches without court approval and order material on the Internet to be removed. Carrie Lam said she would be responsible for giving the go-ahead for such surveillance and oversee its execution. But the chief executive stressed these powers were given to the police by the national security law and the implementation rules only serve to explain them in greater detail. She also said the rules cannot be subjected to judicial review. As she headed into the weekly executive council meeting, Mrs. Lam dismissed what she called unfounded allegations that the security law signals the death of one country, two systems. She also again rejected concerns about the legislation raised by legal experts here and foreign governments, some of which have warned it will destroy Hong Kong's status as a global financial center. Mrs. Lam argued that, on the contrary, the recent surge in the stock market shows people appreciate the newly enacted law. I'm pleased to say that uh, in the last few days, uh, I noticed, uh, you may dispute that, but I noticed that there has been an increasing appreciation of the positive effect of this national security legislation, particularly in restoring stability uh, in Hong Kong, as reflected by some of the market sentiments uh, in recent days. Surely... This is not doom and gloom for Hong Kong. I'm sure with the passage of time and efforts and the facts being laid out, uh, confidence will grow in one country, two systems and in Hong Kong's future. The CE said the new law does not instill fear but removes it from society. I would submit that instead of undermining people's freedom, the national security law will restore stability and helps ensure the great majority of Hong Kong people could exercise their rights and freedoms without being intimidated or attacked. So instead of spreading fear, the law actually removed fear and let Hong Kong people return to a normal 
peaceful life. And Hong Kong will resume her status as one of the safest cities in the world. Mrs Lam also dismissed suggestions that the SAR government was kept completely in the dark when the security law was being drafted by the National People's Congress Standing Committee. Specifically, the National People's Congress Standing Committee has listened to views of the chief executive, that is myself, and Hong Kong SAR government key officials several times and taken on board our suggestions. It is much regretted that my comment made on the 23rd of June in this forum in response to a media inquiry um, that the Hong Kong SARG has not seen complete details of the proposed legislation was misrepresented or deliberately exaggerated as Hong Kong SARG being totally kept in the dark. That is not the truth. When asked to respond to the British government's decision to relax visa restrictions for BNO passport holders, Mrs Lam said she didn't understand why some Western countries are so eager to criticize the national security law. But she pointed to an article that she said could have made a slip of the tongue when it attributed the reaction to the rise of China. Nine out of ten primary six students taking part in the government's allocation scheme will be going to a secondary school of their first three choices. That's the highest rate in three years. Here's Maggie Ho again. Out of 54,000 primary school leavers who took part in this year's secondary school places allocation scheme, 77 percent were assigned the school of their top choice. Students went through discretionary placement in April, and now they learned about the outcome of the central allocation round. This girl said it was a pleasant surprise to find out she was accepted by her favorite school after she was not given a place during the earlier discretionary placement round. She said she will have a big feast with her parents in celebration. This mother said she was so nervous she couldn't sleep for two nights, but in the end her son got his top choice, and that's the same school his dad went to. But others are not as lucky. Some of those unhappy with their allocation results visited their preferred schools on their own to try to win admission. But because of the coronavirus pandemic, some secondary schools decided to cancel face-to-face -face interviews, dealing a blow to the students' hopes. Hong Kong students at university in the United States will have to leave if all their classes are moved online in the autumn semester because of COVID-19. Under new guidelines in the US, foreign students will be forced to leave the country or transfer to another institution if their university offers classes entirely via the internet. According to the new rules, international students must take some of their classes in person. Protests have been held outside the Japanese consulate in Central to mark the Marco Polo bridge incident in 1937, an event that sparked the Second Sino-Japanese War. The protesters say Japan should apologise for their humiliation of China. Damon Pang reports. The protesters gathered outside the consulate to mark the 83rd anniversary of the Marco Polo Bridge incident, during which Japanese and Chinese troops clashed near Beijing. They chanted slogans demanding Japan apologize for the invasion. The Federation of Trade Unions says all Chinese people, especially the younger generation, should remember the sacrifices of their forefathers, and there's still a need to guard against right-wing politics in Japan. The FTU spill tank says there must be no revival of Japanese militarism, and people should also remember how China was battered by Western powers over the past two centuries. 
Our father or our father's fathers, they have a very bad burden of warfare that provoked by Japan. So today, 83 years ago, Japan provoked the total war to China. We need to uh, make this event to be our memory for every generation, and we can treasure our person, please, and know our identity of Chinese. Another protest was held by a group set up to defend China's sovereignty over the disputed Diaoyu Islands. They say people must remember the suffering of comfort women forced into prostitution by the Japanese military and that Japan must pay compensation for the war crimes it committed. A Vietnamese man accused of defaming the country's leaders by broadcasting his pro-democracy views on Facebook has been jailed for eight years. Human Rights Watch says the 29-year-old has spoken of his support for democracy in Vietnam and shared news of the pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong before his arrest last September. A number of high-profile journalists and activists have been detained in Vietnam in recent months. Five million residents of the Australian city of Melbourne are returning to lockdown for six weeks because of a spike in COVID-19 cases. Stay-at-home restrictions will start tomorrow. The state premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews, says the number of infections have left the authorities with no choice. These are unsustainably high numbers of new cases. Uh, it is simply impossible with case rates at this level uh, to have enough contact tracing staff in order to continue to suppress and contain this virus without taking significant steps. If we were to fail to take those steps, then it won't be a couple of hundred cases per day. It will be many more than that, and it will quickly spiral well and truly out of control. The governor of New York, one of the U.S. states worst affected by COVID-19, has accused President Trump of enabling the virus. Andrew Cuomo appealed to Mr. Trump not to be, as he put it, a co-conspirator with COVID-19. Acknowledge to the American people that COVID exists. It is a major problem. It's going to continue until we admit it and each of us stands up to do our part. If he does not acknowledge that, then he is facilitating the virus. He is enabling the virus. The MTR Corporation has issued a profit warning. It says it could post a net loss of around $400 million in the first six months of the year. The railway firm says its business has been hit by the coronavirus pandemic and a worsening economic environment. It added that the revaluation re loss of the group's investment property portfolio also played a part in the anticipated loss. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Hong Kong sees a new community outbreak of COVID-19. A bus driver is jailed for 14 years over a deadly crash in Taipo and a woman gets a three-month jail sentence for shining a laser pointer at a police officer's eyes. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. An infectious disease expert is warning of another wave of local coronavirus infections in the city. Dr Leung Chi Chu of the Hong Kong Medical Association says the latest cases show there might be multiple sources of the virus due to existing loopholes in quarantine measures. He spoke to Wendy Wong. It shows a clear signal that we are seeing an increasing number of infectious sources within our community. This could well signal the arrival of a third wave uh, due to loopholes in our quarantine system. There are, uh, in fact, two key aspects, one related to uh, the home quarantine, 
which cannot detect the silent transmission within the families, and the family members can carry the virus into our community. The other one related to the large number of people exempted from any quarantine arrangement, uh, including those uh, air flight crews and also uh, ship crews. And because of the relatively less systems in Hong Kong, people in other places may utilize Hong Kong as a place uh, for change of their course. And this uh, increased the risk uh, of local uh, transmission. So what do you think the government should do? The government, besides tackling uh, the outbreaks we are seeing, they need to tighten up all the quarantine arrangements. They need to increase the quarantine facility by using some financial incentives to arrange uh, some hotels, specified hotels for quarantine. There should be a testing of those exempted from the local quarantine arrangements whenever it's possible. Besides testing, there should also be a need to regulate uh, their stay in Hong Kong so that they should stay in their hotel rooms uh, for self-isolation uh, to avoid uh, mixing with the local community. Now we have a couple of uh, new local cases. Do you expect we will see more, even more local cases or even a more widespread outbreak? Because of the incubation period and the less time before we can detect this case, we are expecting more cases in the coming few days. Depending on the number of new cases we are seeing, uh, if we see uh, many cases, then the chance of seeing further cases in the, the week after the, this week will even be greater. One of the new cases is an elderly woman living in a care home. Is it also very worrying? This is a worrying sign because uh, outbreaks in elderly homes uh, have been a major problem in many countries. In Hong Kong, we have been successful in preventing this from occurring. And we need to assess whether there are any workers or inmates in the, in the elderly homes being infected. And we need to tackle any outbreak correctly to avoid its spread within the high-risk facility. The Hong Kong Journalists Association says the government should provide a concrete assurance that reporters won't be prosecuted under the national security law for their everyday reporting. The Journalists Union says that at the moment it's difficult to tell whether the kind of stories that were OK in the past are still allowed. The body's chairman, Chris Young, told Anna-Marie Evans the government should be able to provide this assurance if it sincerely believes that freedom of the press will be protected under the new law. The chief executive and officials always say that the new national security law will not affect freedom of the press and their reporting. So I think the simple question is, media and journalists have been writing, publishing a lot of stories, some of which are sensitive, politically controversial. We did it before without having to face uh, prosecution or any legal problems or, or risks. So now the new law is in place. And if we, say, do similar stories, will there be assurance that we will not be prosecuted for similar stories that we have published before? So I think that's the simple test. And the government, I think, if they sincerely believe that there will not be adverse impact of freedom of the press, they should give assurance of that kind. Yeah, but the chief executive has effectively refused to give such an assurance this morning. So are you disappointed about that? Uh, because uh, government always say that if you have normal, proper reporting, you'll be okay. But we saw, say, other cases before that reporters ask legitimate, proper questions about, for instance, uh, Taiwan's membership in WHO 
But then the reporter and OTHK, I think to be frank, have been criticized for breaching the one China principle. So under the new law that is related to secession, so what they refer to normal and proper reporting are, are just so arbitrarily dictated by themselves so whenever they want. So that poison risk and danger and threat to journalists. So have you indeed seen or heard practical examples where the national security law has led to this chilling effect and self-censorship among local media and reporters? Well, um, reporters asked me in the past few days about stories that they did before, say, uh, doing an interview with NAS Governor Lord Patton or doing investigative reports about the illegal structures uh, involved, say, senior police officers. Will they be okay uh, if they did similar stories? If they do similar stories now, will they um, be say, seen as uh, spreading remarks um, that are seen as secessionists? Will they be seen as spreading hatred among the public towards the police by, say, taking out um, their wrongdoing in illegal structures? Uh, I think those questions, the fact that uh, they they are raised and asked. Uh, I think shows that uh, people are worried and uh, it will follow by some form of uh, self-censorship, not to publish those reports or they play down those reports. Now, with the latest authorities' move to give police more power to regulate online messages, do you think that that will have an impact on reporters or press freedom, in your opinion? Well, uh, the, the powers are so wide-ranging uh, in conducting the... Uh, home search uh, and, uh, and 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 pull things down from the internet and 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 also say uh, perhaps um, all the reporters uh, to give it, to give information about their content. So um, the protection of uh, sources, uh, which is vital to to independent journalism, uh, will now be under no um, or very limited uh, uh, protection. So that will um, directly affect the uh, journalist reporting, or to say the least, uh, poise uh, a threat and uh, cause fears among reporters in doing their work. The head of the Hong Kong University Journalism School, Keith Richberg, has called on journalists to keep on reporting the way they always have done, despite concerns brought by the national security law. Speaking at a forum on press freedom, he conceded that reporters could end up practising self-censorship. But the professor thinks it's pointless to try to keep within what could be ever-moving red lines. I think the danger is not that we wouldn't continue doing what we do, but that we would kind of pull back because we're afraid of going up to that red line or crossing the red line where I prefer let's have some cases to see where the red lines are. Now, the danger with that is they're never going to spell out where the red lines are. If we look at what happens in mainland China as a template or even in some of the Southeast Asian countries, they never want to specify you can say this, but you can't say that because they want to have the flexibility. And so they're never going to spell out the red line. So, again, if you look at mainland China, they're still, even with all the strictures they have there, you still have Southern Weekend, you still have Kaishin, the New York Times doing that excellent Xinjiang reporting. So people kind of push the envelope to the red line. So everybody has to make that own decision for themselves, how much of a chance they are going to take. And I could say anybody who tells you they don't self-censor in mainland China is not being honest with you. We all self-censored all the time. Because among other things, you have to say, hmm, I've got this really good story, but is it worth me writing that story if it's not really that important because I might get kicked out? 
or I might get called in for it. You kind of have to navigate all the time how you phrase things, what stories you choose to write, what stories I would choose to say, you know, I'm going to ignore that story because I think that's probably a little too sensitive and I've got bigger fish to fry. So you have to kind of always know how to navigate those red lines. The Reuters news agency says the popular video app TikTok will exit the Hong Kong market within days. The move comes as other technology companies, including Facebook, WhatsApp and Twitter, have suspended processing government requests for user data here. Cecil Wong has more. The short-form video app, owned by China-based ByteDance, made the decision following Beijing's move to impose a new national security law on Hong Kong. In response to a question about the company's commitments to the market, a spokesman told Reuters that in light of recent events, we have decided to stop operations in Hong Kong. The company, which is now run by former Walt Disney executive Kevin Meyer, had previously said that the app's user data was not stored in China. TikTok has also said it would not comply with any request made by the Chinese government to censor content or for access to its user data. Earlier, IT sector lawmaker Charles Mock had warned that global companies could pull out of Hong Kong. Now the police have been given the power to demand internet platforms remove material that they think endangers national security. Refusal to comply could result in a six-month jail sentence and a fine of $100,000. Mr Mock said the mainland's firewall has effectively been extended to Hong Kong, and this has implications for Hong Kong as a financial and IT centre. It is deeply worrying that these companies may have to reassess the risk of doing business in Hong Kong. And uh, similar to some of these companies' decision previously uh, to exit from the China mainland market, will they have to make that kind of decision for Hong Kong? Uh, eventually, will the Hong Kong government make a ban on these services totally? That remains to be seen. But I think by now we cannot rule out any possibility. And that's deeply worrying for Hong Kong as a communication centre, as a financial service centre. Because the key previous selling point of Hong Kong was Hong Kong has free flow of information. And obviously we don't have that anymore after last night. Major cities across the U.S. are reporting a spike in violent gun crime on their streets in the wake of the George Floyd killing two months ago. On top of recent month-on-month gun crime increases, over the July 4th holiday weekend, more than 10 people were killed in shootings in New York and reportedly around 15 people were killed in similar violence over in Chicago, Illinois. In the state of Georgia, the city of Atlanta also saw similar outbreaks of violence, with the state governor even ordering the National Guard out to help control the situation. So why is all this happening now? Chip Mitchell is a criminal justice reporter for the NPR news station in Chicago. Well, it, it was quite a weekend. From Friday afternoon, which is typically when a lot of the violence on a Chicago weekend begins to ramp up, from Friday afternoon to Monday early morning, 80 people were shot, 16 of them fatally, 16 died. And tragically, this was not even the most violent weekend of the year. Just two weeks ago, we had a weekend with 110 shooting victims. 13 of those people died. And on May 31st, uh, it was just one day. It was a day of a lot of looting after the, the video of George Floyd getting killed by Minneapolis police came out. In one day, May 31st, we had 15 homicides in a single day. So things are, are, are really wild here in Chicago. For the year, Chicago finished the first half of 2020 last week with 329 killings that police had classified as murder. That's up 34% from that point 
the previous year, 2019. So Chicago really is having some of its most intense gun violence since the mid-90s, the early 90s, which was the tail end of a crack cocaine epidemic in this city. The murders that are going on right now in Chicago, you'd have to say that the proximate cause has to do with the video of of George Floyd getting killed by the Minneapolis police, another Midwestern, uh, that's a Midwestern U.S. city, about seven hours by car to the Northwest. We've seen this before, by the way, in Chicago, when there's a high profile police killing recorded on videotape. Here, less than five years ago, it was footage of a 17-year-old named Laquan McDonald getting shot down by a Chicago officer on videotape. So trust between the police and community after one of these incidents will, you know, hit a low point. Scholars call it a police legitimacy crisis, and it's worse in the city's black neighborhoods. There's a really a long history, decades-long history of strained police relations um, in these parts of the city, police community relations. So this is a history that not, you know, in my lifetime includes torture of suspects by a midnight overnight crew of detectives. And this went on for decades. Police and prosecutors, politicians, they look the other way. We do have a, a very, a, a very big problem with racial segregation in neighborhoods here. There, it's you know you go, you, it's it's a a big swath of town will be entirely black, uh, like the West Side or or most of the South Side, and then you cross, um, literally you cross tracks, and um, within a block it's all Latino, uh, mostly Mexican Americans or it's mostly white. So uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, that is, a, that is an old problem in Chicago. It's mostly informal. It has to do with uh, where banks will lend money. It has to do with where uh, wealthier and whiter people are willing to send their children to school. And uh, it is an old problem. Um, I'm not gonna say intractable, but it, it, it's not a simple thing to flip a switch. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. The Women's Commission's Capacity Building Mileage Program provides a wide range of courses for women to pursue lifelong learning and self-development. The courses empower women to face life's challenges with a positive mindset. Enrollment for the new semester has commenced. Copies of the prospectus are available at the district offices. For program details, please call 2915-2380. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to an introduction to our kind of music. Nostalgia from now until 1am.
The Green Leaves of Summer, played by Percy Faith and his orchestra. Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do. Most of all 